Hello and welcome to History for Weirdos. We're your hosts, Andrew and Stephanie. And each week, we're going to take you on a journey into the strange, obscure, and relentlessly entertaining corners of human history. Now listen up, friends, because it's about to get weird. Weirdos, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 51 of the History for Weirdos podcast. It's good to be back, Weirdos. It is so good to be back. I mean, we've taken about a month off now. Yeah, we did like a summer break. Exactly. And we went to Rome, which I'm sure we will talk about in a little bit. Yes. Um, And guys, it was so amazing. If you haven't been, highly suggest it. It was my first time, Stephanie's second time there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm in love and Mm -hmm. I want to move there tomorrow oh yeah (laughs) it was gorgeous i'd say our big takeaway from our trip to rome which we did share a bit about on instagram so if you don't follow us on instagram you can see pictures and reels and stuff at history for weirdos um but my biggest takeaway was to maybe not go to rome in july though yeah that was i think the (laughs) biggest negative um also so hot also strikes oh there were a lot of strikes i think that's Year-round, though. I don't think that that's is seasonal. year-round. It's definitely not seasonal. I think that's just in general. But yeah, um, it's really expensive in July. Right, because it's the high season. It's summer vacation, right? So lots yeah. of families from all over Europe. It sounded like there were a lot of Europeans and there were a lot of Americans like us there as well. And it's just the hottest. It and it's is so hot. Yeah, like every single day, guys, it was like, oh, like at least 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. I'm a little weenie in the heat, so that was rough on me for sure. But it was still like so gorgeous and such a like privilege to be able to go and see those things. Um, we definitely want to go back, mm-hmm. and we'll probably go back in like spring or fall next yeah. time. That would be my recommendation: <laughs> go in the spring or fall. Yeah, if anyone's looking to go, if you're planning a trip, we recommend spring or fall because there's so much to see. Like it's very walkable; mm-hmm. you can walk everywhere, and there's so much to see that you don't want to be overheated or too cold while you're walking. So exactly. Those are our big takeaways. Yeah. And then this week, my story or my episode, I guess, mm-hmm. is inspired by something we saw in Rome, or some one someone's Ooh. work that we saw in Rome. Yes. And I will be talking to us all talking to myself mostly, (laughs) about uh, the very famous, infamous painter, sometimes Caravaggio. And he is your favorite painter, I believe. No. He's not your favorite? (laughs) I messed that up. I didn't know. I thought he was. He's probably number two. My favorite is... Da Vinci. No, no. Van Gogh. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, that was... I would have wow. gotten there. I would have gotten there in the next, like, 30 seconds. <laughs> I think. That's <laughs> no, so definitely. embarrassing that you didn't know that. It is a little embarrassing. I'm pretty basic, and it's Van Gogh. Yeah, I know who your favorite sculptor is. Yeah. I mean... I don't really have a second or third <laughs> yeah, favorite. I know, me neither. It's both. It's, it's Ber- Bernini. Bernini, guys, yeah. Which we also saw a ton of Bernini's work in Rome. Obviously, he's popping there for a while. Mm-hmm. And gorgeous, like... Gorgy the most incredible things we've ever seen. Yeah. Um, but I do like art history, I guess, a mm-hmm. little bit. And I'd say my favorite is Van Gogh. And then my yeah. second favorite is Caravaggio. Okay, fair enough. Maybe in third, I've 
feel like a terrible feminist that she's third, but third is Frida Kahlo. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just in terms of, I like, you know what? I like the disturbed ones. Yeah. That's my vibe. Oh, I think you would have liked El Greco. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. Was he hurting He's inside? the one who painted the really disturbing Saturn eating his children. <gasps> wow. I want to look that up. I guess it would be in uh, the Greek version. It's we'll get back. You think about that. Yeah. You let us know if it comes back to you. But in the meantime, I'll tell us about our boy Caravaggio. For those who may not know, he was an Italian painter that was primarily active in Rome in the late 16th, early 17th centuries. And he was one of the early contributors to the Baroque style movement. Mm. So even in his lifetime, which I think is really interesting, he was known for being a talented, rebellious, and controversial figure. Ooh, I like him. Mm-hmm. Though through his art and his personal escapades, he was the ultimate like embodiment of work hard, play hard. <laughs> <laughs> and he was kind of a bad boy artist. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah. So in today's episode, I'm going to share a brief, brief history of his creative achievements and mm. his criminal activity. <laughs> that's that's incredible. That okay, <laughs> that sentence alone is amazing. Artistic achievement, criminal activity. Yes. Boom. He's so interesting. I didn't know anything about him, and I'll get into it when I fell in love with his work. Um, but my gosh, he's an, an interesting fellow. So let's start at the beginning, because that's what makes sense. Fair enough. His actual name was Michelangelo. Oh my god. Yes, okay, I did know that. Yeah, but... That's so dis- like unfortunate. That, that one's kind of taken. So, uh, <laughs> he was Michelangelo Merisi, and he was born in Milan on mm. September 29th, 1571, they think. Okay. And in Milan, his father was a household administrator, an architect decorator. No idea what that means. Mm. To the Marchese of Caravaggio, a town that is 35 kilometers to the east of Milan. So he's, his artistic name that we know, love and know him by Caravaggio is actually the town where he grew up. You'll see his, they moved there where his dad worked. Um, Not anything to do with his actual name. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. Yeah, and again, I don't know what it means to be a household administrator and architect director, but it sounds like his dad, you know, did a lot of stuff. Yeah, weirdos, if you know what that means, um, <laughs> let us know. Yeah. So, unfortunately, in 1576, after the family moved to Caravaggio to escape a plague that was ravaging Milan at the time, Oof. Caravaggio's father and grandfather both contracted the plague and died on the same day. Oh my god, his father and his grandfather? Yeah. God, that sucks. Yes, terrible, terrible. Caravaggio's mom was left to raise five children alone, living in poverty, right? No more men in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, it's assumed that they stayed in Caravaggio during this time until she dies in 1584. So the same year that his mom dies, Caravaggio's like, I'm going to go out on my own. And he began a four-year apprenticeship with the painter Simone Petrezano, he was from Milan. Okay. So this is when he starts to study. So uh, it would be 1588. He starts to study painting. How old would he have been at this point? So he was born in 1571. So about 17 years old. Yeah. Okay. That's so hard at that point to have no one. Wow. So his, his father, grandfather, and mother all died relatively quickly in his life god that sucks yeah and he was pretty young and i didn't i couldn't find much about his siblings Mm. because he was one of five so Uh i don't know what happened um 
in, in that area, I'm hoping. They lived full, beautiful lives, and they all stayed in touch. That's what I'm going to go with. Yeah, knock on wood. <laughs> knock on wood, that's what happened. Yeah. So let's go to his time in Rome next, okay. because this is where Caravaggio made a name for himself. This is where he thrived off art and scandal. Okay? Yes, <laughs> this is what I'm looking forward to. So in 1592, Caravaggio left Milan for Rome. Uh, in a flight after certain quarrels where he wounded a police officer. <laughs> Starting off strong here. Yeah, so he was like, I wanted to go to Rome anyway. So he just heads to Rome when he's no longer able to stay in Milan. Okay. He arrives without any money or means, but he's very eager to make it as an artist. And it's important to note for historical context that at this time in Rome, there was a big demand for talented artists. So it makes sense that he wanted to go there anyway. Right. They wanted to fill the churches and the palazzi that were being built everywhere. And the church and its patrons, its no, you know noble patrons, were looking for a new style of religious art to capture people. Um, to counter the rising threat of Protestantism. <laughs> so cue bad boy Caravaggio. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, Protestantism is um, more austere mm-hmm. in terms of their churches, right? Right. And so they were like, you know what we'll do to fight the Protestants? We'll make it more bougie. <laughs> even more grandiose. <laughs> we'll make it, even though that's their whole qualm with us. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of amazing. Yes. And then... Um, Caravaggio is an up-and-coming artist. So in 1595, an eminent cardinal named Francesco del Monte recognized Caravaggio's talents and took him into his household to be his patron, essentially, which was really common. Everyone wanted to discover, all the rich people wanted to discover like a cool artist. Like, oh, this is the next big thing. Yeah, I'm his patron. I'm going to make him a big name, right? Yeah. So through the cardinal circle of acquaintance, Caravaggio received his first commissions, which were so well received immediately that he went from starving artist to celebrity almost immediately. Oh my God. So he was an OG influencer. He was an influencer in the wilds of Rome. <laughs> I love that. And he had quite a reputation to go with it. So while enjoying enjoying his rise to fame, in Rome, he was also brought to trial 11 times. Okay, I love this. I love this image already. Some of the charges included, some of them are weak, like swearing at a constable. Oh, And then the next one is penning satirical verses about a rival painter. (laughs) Seriously? But apparently the satirical verses one, like I was reading a little bit about it, like put into context, it, it was like, like mean tweets, like slander, mean tweets, mm. basically. Like it was, and it was apparently so vicious that like it ruined the guy's reputation. Oh my god! It like caused like emotional damages. Oh my god! So that's why he was taken to court for it. It's amazing. He was also charged with slashing the cloak of an adversary as he walked by, and quote abusing the police was a, a charge he regularly got. And then one of the famous charges he went to trial for was chucking a plate of artichokes at a waiter. Mm, as one does. I don't... See, that's my least favorite one. Don't... You know, you can mess with your, your adversaries and police, but don't don't mess with, like, the hardworking, like, waitstaff, you Poor know? Or waiter. Yeah. Like, He's that's my stuff. got a bunch of artichokes thrown at him. God, yeah. Not cool. According to one of his biographers, um, this is in quotes, after a fortnight's work 
he would swagger, or no, this is someone, a, a contemporary, so it's actually in the present. After a fortnight's work, he will swagger about for a month or two with his sword at his side and with a servant following him, from one ball court to the next, ever ready to engage in a fight or argument, with the result that is most awkward with the result that it is most awkward to get along with him. The sword was illegal at this time. You needed to have a license oh to carry gosh. arms. Yeah. And he just didn't. And he was <laughs> like, I'm going to carry a sword anyway. He's and like, I don't give a fuck. when they say from one ball court to another, him swaggering about, they mean tennis. Wow. That's where he was causing a ruckus on the tennis courts. Wow, what a bad boy. I know. It's funny because I was literally in my mind picturing like basketball like courts. A basketball court. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, basketball definitely was not around at this point. No. Um, and when he wasn't painting, and apparently he could paint really fast, like people mm-hmm. were really impressed with like, he would just lock himself away for a few days wow. and paint a masterpiece. So he was a natural. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen, we literally saw some of his work like in person and it, it's Guys, if you haven't, like, it's beyond beautiful. It's so beautiful. Um, You know, anything that was commissioned, he'd get it done really quick so he could go back to partying. Wow. I I like that. I respect that. Yeah. He was often rubbing elbows with the elite of Rome, which included, like, of course, high-ranking Catholic officials and noble families. Um, But this didn't stop him from also being linked to, you know, gangsters of the time, and being romantically linked to one of the most uh, famous sex workers in Rome. I'm not going to say her name right. Filedi Melandroni. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I got that right. I was like rethinking (laughs) it. So I'll tell you a little bit about her because she does play quite a pivotal role in his life. Okay. So Melandroni was originally from Siena, but she moved to Rome and she became a sex worker at the age of 16. Hmm. She was extremely well known and sought after. Um, <laughs> very famous. Did it say why? Is it just beautiful? I think she was beautiful. Yeah, okay. you can see her in his paintings. Oh, uh, Caravaggio met her when he was commissioned to paint her in the painting called "Portrait of a Courtesan" for an Italian nobleman named Vincenzo. Oh, can't say it. Something and Italian. <laughs> Vincenzo, something that probably sounds beautiful, and. Uh, he was a, a bougie banker. Yeah. And he was sleeping with this sex worker. And that's how Caravaggio met her. And um, what's really interesting, and I think I'll touch on her more later if I remember correctly, but just something that I personally have noticed is Caravaggio doesn't typically portray female subjects in a very erotic or sexual way, which was weird, right? Artists have long, male artists, really mm-hmm. portray the female figure or female subjects in a very, at the very least, like in the most mild and sensual way. Right. And he doesn't do this with women, but he does do this with men. Um, and I just find that really interesting. Mm-hmm. Historians do argue o- over his sexuality, but the general consensus is that in today's perspective, we would consider him queer or bisexual. Mm, okay. So it, it's believed he had relationships with both men and women. So I'm going to get into his art a little bit more um, because there are many elements of Caravaggio's art that made it really revolutionary and rebellious in and of itself. Obviously, mm. we look at it now and we think it's very classically beautiful. Yeah. But it was not mainstream at the time. Oh, so he had some like subversive elements, at least for like the contemporary. Exactly. So much of the information that I'm sharing about this portion, because I'm not an art historian, 
comes from things that I read by Letizia Treves, the curator of the Caravaggio exhibit in the National Gallery in London. Oh, cool. Yeah, she had like a really cool um, article on the National Gallery website, kind of like diving deep into his style. Mm-hmm. So the two main standout elements that I'll be breaking down a little bit is like his use of real life models and his use of dramatic lighting and shadows. Mm. So regarding real life models, that doesn't sound too crazy, right? Like artists had used models before. That's really typical. But typically they used actual models, like someone who was a model for a painter or at least people prepared that were to sit for portraits, like nobility. So people that imagine someone you know you're gonna get a photo taken you like get groomed all nice you put on your best and you sit for a painting right but Caravaggio famously would just stop people in the street and he would pull them into his studio and paint them (laughs) that's kind of amazing yes so eccentric yes very eccentric this resulted in the subjects of his paintings having a real life quality to them that was striking for the time because he wouldn't edit things that other artists seemed deemed as like imperfect like if they had dirt on their hands because they were an Mm -hmm. everyday person working he'd leave the dirt on their hands yeah or if they had like a funky birthmark he'd leave the birthmark on there Mm -hmm. he wouldn't try to manicure them right um we saw that and you pointed that out when we get to it later okay yeah he represented essentially the real people that he saw nice and as i just mentioned her name he really he famously used filetti Melandroni as one of his models in multiple paintings, this very well-known sex worker. Mm-hmm. Um, and while they did develop a romantic relationship, she was also known to like, quote unquote, be involved with this guy named Ranuccio Tomassoni, who was likely her pimp, not really her boyfriend. Right. And he was a gangster from a really wealthy family. Mm. So Carvaggio, and that's important. It'll come back later. Okay. Spoiled. What was his name? Ranuccio Tommasoni. Ranuccio Tommasoni. Okay. I'm sure we both said that perfectly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially for our Italian listeners. Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> so Carvaggio used her in a model for multiple paintings in addition to that one portrait he did. Right. Uh, he used her as a model for Martha and the Mary Magdalene. If anyone wants to look these up so you could see what she looks like. Mm-hmm. In which she is portraying Mary Magdalene. And then in Judith, beheading Holofernes. Oh, yeah. Yes, that's one's really famous. And as St. Catherine of Alexandria. Ooh, yes. That's very subversive. Very subversive. Um, she's in, in one painting of her, she looks like she has brown hair. But in all the others, she has like strawberry blonde hair. Hmm. And she's really cute. She's really pretty. Um, and here's a great quote about the real life elements of his work from that article that i told you about so i'm just going to read it to you it's a little chunk but i thought it was a very good summation Mm -hmm. so caravaggio's technique was as spontaneous as his temper he painted straight onto the canvas with minimal preparation sometimes he abandoned a disappointing composition and painted a new work over the top much to the horror of his critics he used ordinary working people with irregular, rough, and characterful faces as models for his saints and showed them in recognizably contemporary surroundings. Hmm. People hated it. Yeah. But they loved it. They loved to hate it, essentially. Mm. The only thing I don't like is the historical inaccuracy. 
But as we do a his, like a history podcast, that I think goes without saying. Yes, I actually don't get into it um, further, so I'm glad you brought that up because they just touch on it a little bit here. He will paint biblical scenes in modern day, for them, modern day settings, right? right? And in modern day clothing. Mm -hmm. So it is the saints in a 16th century, like, house with 16th, 17th century clothing. Right. Um, Not in their biblical era stuff, which I thought, I think it's kind of cool that he does that. I guess so, yeah. It's just maybe for us, it's, like, weird. But for them, it would be, like, obvious. Like, of course. Right, right. Yeah, okay. I, I, I kind of retract my statement then a little bit. I see what you're saying. At the time, they're like, oh, this is obviously meant to be like, send some sort of message. Right. Whereas for us from the future, we're like, wait, they didn't dress like that, did they? Yeah, it's like, hey, wait a minute. That's like, that's way off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah. The second element, as I mentioned, is his use of dramatic lighting. So he's really famous for his use of shadows. Um, if you look at any Caravaggio painting, it's often really dark and full of shadow, even though, mm. like I said, he's often depicting very famous biblical scenes and characters, which right. we normally would associate with light. Yeah. And they've been doing that for like a thousand years. Yeah. Thousand years even plus. the little halos, right? right? Yeah. That everyone's used to seeing around the saints. He sort of enveloped them in shadow which I think is really cool because he famously would not have people pose for him in the daylight. Hmm. He'd have people come when it was dark and then he would manipulate light, I'm assuming via candles, in his studio if he wanted to create a certain effect or texture. That's genius. Amazing. It's genius, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you, you like we saw in the Villa Borghese, like mm-hmm. like paintings that were just from before this time, and they didn't really utilize like shadow, light, shadow, like depth, mm-hmm. yeah, like at all. And then he comes in, and it's like, wow, like guys, there's a very like stark difference in like fifty years. It's mm-hmm. kind of amazing. Yeah, you're right. It feels like some of the other paintings from just before his time that we saw are a little flat. Yeah. In comparison, not that the like I couldn't paint that way, so I'm right. not criticizing the person's <laughs> skill. Yeah. I could never do that, but he really makes it more lifelike. I don't yeah. know how else to explain it. Yeah, exactly. So, I'm going to go deep into one painting that illustrates all of these really distinct elements, and it's the one you were going to reference. Yes. Earlier. It's the Madonna di Loreto, which we saw in the Cavaletti Chapel at the Church of San Agostino in Rome. So for folks listening who have not seen it, I highly recommend you like Google it, you check it out. Um, I'll try to post a picture of it on Instagram as well. Yeah. Because I don't want to bore you all with like explaining too much what's happening. But basically the picture shows the Virgin Mary carrying baby Jesus while two peasants are kneeling before them. She's like on a, in front of the door and they're on her doorstep. So immediately, let me know if you agree, I feel like the first thing you notice, especially because that church is full of paintings of the Virgin Mary and a baby, or baby Jesus, I guess, not just a random baby, (laughs) um, is the use of intense shadow. Yeah, it's It's, really dark painting. It's dark. You have to like really focus to see what's going on. Uh, You actually can't really make out baby Jesus's face. He's kind of shadowed. Yeah, he's obscure. Mm -hmm. He's obscured and he's not the focal point at all. He's not the focal point. I agree. Um, This painting was controversial for several reasons. My boy being controversial. (laughs) 
<laughs> Such a bad boy. He's a bad boy of art, of like early 17th century art, late 16th century. Yes. There we go. It was against Pagliotti's rule, which is some old Catholic law that I don't really know about. Yeah. To depict saints as engaging in ordinary activities or like they are normal people. Okay? It's like, did you not realize that they were normal people? This is why Protestantism was rising. Yeah. It's not because your art wasn't cool enough. Yeah. It's because of stuff like this. So upon seeing this painting, some perceived that Caravaggio was depicting the Madonna, the Virgin Mary. And yes, we always call her the Virgin Mary. I did ask this in Catholic school. I got in trouble. <laughs> but the answer is yes, she's always the Virgin Mary. Uh, depicting Madonna holding baby Jesus outside the door. They said that she looked like just an ordinary housewife. And that was against this law. Because she looked plain. And she's not adorned in anything. Right, she, she looks like a mom. She doesn't have a halo, I don't think. I don't think she does either. She looks like a mom carrying a big baby. Right. The baby's really fat, in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> baby Jesus was thick. Yeah, it was a thick baby. <laughs> And then when you walk up to the painting, one of the first things you see are the bare feet of those peasants that are yeah. kneeling. And for me, the perspective is almost like you're at the peasant's level and their feet are the closest thing to you. So it's bigger in perspective, right? And so there's these big, dirty feet sticking out almost of the painting. Um, and the noble class was super offended by this reminder that people lived in rampant poverty. Oh my God. They were like, we don't want that in this church. <laughs> um, they didn't want to have to look at it. They were really offended that he showed their dirty feet, but he showed people as they were. Lastly, <laughs> the controversial thing about this painting is that many, many dudes, many elite dudes recognized that Caravaggio had used a woman named Lina Antognetti, who was also a well-known sex worker, <laughs> as the Virgin Mary. Oh my God, talk about subversive. Very subversive. Um, and then fun fact, on a personal level, this is the first Caravaggio painting I ever saw in person, and that was nine years ago. My professor explained these elements to us. And I immediately fell in love with the work without knowing anything else about the guy. I just loved, loved how rebellious and raw he came across, even to like a 20-year-old in the modern times, you know? Like, I got yeah. it. I, I really connected with it. And then you and I, of course, got to see it together. Yeah, this month. Mm-hmm. So it was his controversial methods that outraged people, but it's also what made him famous and rich right so that's a good lesson <laughs> <laughs> what's the lesson babe get people mad and then make money get people mad make, make money. money profit there you go there you go that's you heard it, it here for, you heard it here first folks life lessons from history for weirdos yeah um so he always got away with these shenanigans likely because he had some really well-connected patrons behind him mm. Life lesson number two, have really wealthy patrons behind you. Yeah, definitely. I feel like that's life lesson number one, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can make people mad. So the protection worked, right? He was able to do kind of whatever he wanted, whether that was like slashing someone's cape or using sex workers as the Virgin Mary. Oh my God. He like, was able to get away with stuff. And This guy's such a champ. Yeah, until he didn't. Oh no. Yes. 
Oh, no. So Caravaggio's problems post-fame began on the 29th of May in 1606. That can't be right. Is that the right date? No. Is it? I don't know. Why? Why do I have dyscalculia? Maybe I mean, it's it the would right be, date. It, I mean, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. No one heard that. Pretend like I didn't say that, you guys. So anyway, at some point, we don't know if the we we don't know if the year is right. I guess. I think so. So May 29th in the early 1600s. Yeah, I think that's correct though. Okay. Um, when he kills Ranuccio Tomassoni. Oh no! That that pimp. The pimp. He kills the pimp in a duel. Oh my god! And guys, not like in a fifty cent kind of way, but like in a like a literal pimp. Yeah, in a not cool way. In a not cool way. They fought in a duel at the Campo Marzio, the campus. Oh Martius. my god, the campus Martius. Mm-hmm. It's ancient Rome, guys. <laughs> it all goes back to ancient Rome. It all goes back to ancient Rome. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> um, the two had argued many times. They'd gotten into brawls before. So people weren't sure exactly what they were fighting over this time. But they do think that the killing part was unintentional. Mm. So he, they're, I mean, but like, if there's a good chance you're going to kill it's someone. Like you're in a duel. Like, yeah. Like a, one of those like shooting duels with the pistols? No, swords. Oh, swords. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. He um, castrated him. Oh, boy. Yeah. It doesn't sound unintentional. So the fact that he castrated him makes some people believe that the duel had to do with Sienna, Mm. the sex worker they were both involved with, in a way. Right. Some people think it was as simple as, like, uh, Caravaggio owed him gambling money and he didn't want to pay it. (laughs) Then he castrated him and then the guy died. Right. Not chill, right? I'd say that's pretty unchill on the, the scale from like zero to chill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Tomasoni's wealthy family were outraged and demanded justice. Mm-hmm. And this time Caravaggio's patrons were unable to shield him from any repercussions. So Caravaggio flees Rome, a murderer and a wanted man. Oof. He moves to Naples, to Malta, to Sicily, goes back to Naples. Oh my gosh. Seeking solutions that can grant him a papal pardon because, right, the Pope is the law at this point. Right. Um, so that he can return to Rome. And he almost gets it multiple times, ah. even with his, because his talent and fame, right? People are like, oh my God, you're the Caravaggio. Like, yes. yeah, I'll help you out. But then um, every single time he ends up getting in a fight and gets arrested or uh, hurt somebody. Homie. Yeah. And he sabotages his own efforts to get back. You know what? He needed to talk to you, like a therapist, and be like, hey, like, you can ask him, like, hey, homie, like, why are you self-sabotaging? He definitely shows a lot of emotional, dis- like, dysregulation. Um, very quick to temper. There's a lot of stuff he could have been dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, he needs some meds, maybe. He needed some support, or he wasn't doing something correctly. It also is possible that it's connected to like alcoholism or other things that i'll get in i'll get into one of the big theories later okay um but when he goes back to naples for the second time after sicily he gets he gets involved in another fight oh my God. but this time they like instigated the fight with him oh and he is very badly disfigured is what all his friends say oh like the fight really really injures him 
Um, but in the meantime, he got word from important friends in Rome that he, they were like, oh, we got you the pardon from the Pope. You can come back. Caravaggio could finally return. Um, that's where he wanted to be, right? That is the center of art and culture at this time. Mm-hmm. So he loads all of his belongings onto a ship, but for some unknown reason, it's never identified. He gets arrested and has to like bribe his way out of jail, and so the ship leaves without him. <sighs> and all of his possessions are still on the ship. Great. So he's going along the coast. I think he's seeking passage for another ship. And he falls ill, and within a few days, he dies. Oh, my gosh. At the age of 36. Oh. So young. Um, the cause of his death was a matter of historical debate for a long time, with theories including malaria and lead poisoning, mm. which would account for his erratic behavior. Right. Lead poisoning definitely would account for it, but it might not be just lead poisoning. You know what right. I mean? Like, it could be lead poisoning plus... Alcohol abuse, plus a history of trauma, plus no one teaching you how to regulate your temper. Mm -hmm. It sounds like he was dealing with a lot. And then, of course, there was the theory that it was the Tomassoni family that actually had him murdered. Mm. And this was just a big debate for a really long time until about the early 2000s. His remains were identified by scientists. I don't know what kind of scientists these were. Forensic anthropologists? Mm Mm-hmm. So I just put scientists with little stars around it. Okay. Because um, I don't know what kind. Fair enough. Weirdos, if you know what kind of scientists, let us know. So they did studies that, you know, confirmed... The, okay, this dude's Caravaggio, cool. It's cool. And they confirmed that he died as the result of a wound sustained in that fight in Naples. Oh. When he was... Someone else instigated the fight... He got hurt. He was really disfigured. That wound led to sepsis. He went into septic shock. His organs failed. He died. He died very sadly alone. Mm. He was all on his own at this time. Um, And then later, Vatican documents released in 2002. Oh my gosh. It's always... So nice when the Vatican releases some documents. The Vatican's more secretive than like the U.S. (laughs) federal government when it comes to like freedom of information. And I don't know why they decided to release this, but they released several documents, I'm assuming letters and things like that, that confirmed that the Tomassoni family had hunted him down and they to kill him. And that's what the duel was in mm. Naples. But he fought back. He didn't die in the duel. He died Oh, so I guess later. Those, both of those theories were kind of right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so though his career was off obviously short, he left a significant legacy behind with his contributions to the Baroque movement. And then after his death, there were sub-movements and the next generation of painters who are known as the Caravaggisti, essentially the, oh, like the followers of the Caravaggio, followers of Caravaggio started popping up all over. And people wanted to emulate this very unique style and it, it just influenced the way we look at art in general, right? amazing um caravaggio's epitaph was composed by his friend marzio milesi and one beautiful line from it i wanted to share with you all it reads um michelangelo merisi son of fermo di caravaggio of caravaggio in painting not equal to a painter but to nature itself oh Oh my god i agree because i feel like that was his thing right like i want to paint things as they are i want to make it as lifelike 
as possible. I want people to feel like they can touch these subjects. Yeah. Um, and that is the life and legacy of artist and troublemaker Caravaggio. Oh, you know what? <laughs> that <laughs> was beautiful. Thanks, Beautifully man. said. I love that. You're so sweet. Thank you. And then let me share really quickly. My sources were the BBC, um, aboutfamousartist.com. Oh, that's a cool site. Yeah. The nationalgallery.org. That was the information that I got from the curator of the Caravaggio exhibit there. Um, Caravaggio.net and Wikipedia. Yay! Yeah, so that was a lot. There was so much more, but I didn't want to wander in too many directions. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really just wanted to focus on some of the things we already knew as well as dive deep into like why he is so cool and kind of chaotic at the same time. (laughs) I mean, I didn't understand the context of how chaotic he was as a human yeah i mean like picture like i don't know like an art like a famous artist who just like is very publicly known who goes around like carrying a firearm that would not be cool and like starting fights with people and throwing artichokes and sounds like a rock star from the 1980s. Yes. <laughs> like yeah, Motley Crue or was, something. Yeah. He's kind of a punk rocker. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That too. And then, uh, you know, he wrote such <laughs> such great verses that people literally are like crying about it. <laughs> like, Caravaggio was mean to me. He's so mean. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. So I liked learning more about him. I have a really big Tashin book on him. If folks like those Tashin books, they're beautiful. They make a big one and they make a little one mm-hmm. and it's just gorgeous. And I feel like the Tashin books really do the paintings justice. Yeah, they do. They're so, like very high resolution pictures. Yes, yes. They look gorgeous. It's almost like seeing them in person, to be honest, since mm-hmm. I've seen them in person and in the book. So I recommend checking those out if anyone is also a big Caravaggio fan. Yeah, you know what? And you have like made me a huge Caravaggio mm, fan. I mean, even so after this episode, I think I'm even more of a Caravaggio fan now. Mm, you know what's that. funny too is that like he painted people in like the way they are, and that was like a very Roman way of of painting. Really? Yeah. Or I'm sorry, not a painting of sculpture. We don't of really sculpting? have. Yeah, we we the, we only have like mosaics. Those are the yeah, that are really or left. frescoes or frescoes. Yeah. yeah. But from sculptors, especially like in the uh, like the second century BC, like Rome, Roman sculpting was very about like making things lifelike and real. Whereas mm. like the Hellenized or like mm-hmm. the um, Hellenistic art, especially sculpture was like idealized. Yeah. You can see that a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And it's very like mm, less distinct, I guess. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Roman sculpture, you could tell like, oh, this is this person. Right. This is that person. Yeah, oh, this like, person had a funny mole. They have wrinkles. Yes. Yeah. It's like everything is just raw. I like that. Yeah. That's me too. really cool. Um, well, thank you all so much for listening to another episode. We're happy to be back. Mm-hmm. Andrew will regale us with an interesting tale next week. Yeah, I already have it picked out and uh no no surprises here. It's about ancient Rome. <laughs> <laughs> no surprises here, but we did just come back from Rome, so hence the inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um and then we'll get back to non-Rome and other content as well. Yes. But in the meantime, as always, please, you know, share this podcast with anyone. What are the other things, babe? <laughs> you can follow us on History for Weirdos mm-hmm. on Instagram. But guys, we are almost to 3,000 followers. Oh, yeah. So first so of all, cool. thank you. And second of all, let's, I let's get, get there. Let's get there. Yeah, yeah. we're so close. 
Um, so if you haven't followed us, follow us. And you can also email us at historyforweirdos at gmail.com. Yes. And then if you, wherever you listen to podcasts, if you leave like a rating, it helps other folks find the podcast as well. Exactly. It makes us look good. Well, until next time, weirdos. Until next time, weirdos. Thank you so much. Adios. have to cut this out yeah we got it yeah <laughs> that was that was terrible that was embarrassing for people with a history podcast yeah okay